Turning then to 1 Peter and chapter 5 and the verses which we read, especially verse number 7. 1 Peter and chapter 5 and verse number 7. And we're thinking uh, this evening of coping with anxiety. And I can just define anxiety for you as something that we are familiar with. Even the youngest among us here experience uh, some, some anxiety at times, an inner feeling of apprehension, uneasiness, worry, and or dread. Touches many segments of our society. Perhaps many of us, and, and, and perhaps all of us, consider the student life to be the carefree experience. We think it is a time of freewheeling, of enjoying life with very few responsibilities. But sociologists have been amazed and surprised by the rise of troubles among students, lying behind a deeply concerning and increasing set of troubles by students are mental health problems caused by anxiety. This seemingly most carefree group in our society with no work pressures to deal with, no mortgages to pay, no children to provide for, no elderly parents to look after, no serious health problems at that age, many of them. There's an incredible amount of anxiety in that group. Why, we might ask, and this is the topic of research and conferences, the student debt which they're amassing the cause of their anxiety, is unemployment figures something that worries them, is peer pressure causing such stress, is their coursework the source of their trouble. We can have the same surprise about sports stars who leave their sport through stress. Household names with more money than they could ever spend in their lifetime at the very peak of physical fitness. Yet some of them are crippled with anxiety, retire from their sport or take time out of it. These cases of the students and the sports people indicate to us that anxiety is complex, that there's no respecter of persons. It's difficult to handle and so powerful that it can end someone's career and cripple someone's health, life, and mindset. In the UK alone, in 2023, 17 million workdays were lost through stress. It is currently the most common reason for why people are taking time off work as much as 76% of days taken off work are because of anxiety. So here we come then to our seventh verse, speaking into our society, to all ages in our society, to all segments of our society and of the church. And verse 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. And we're to see this verse just at the, the very outset 
of being one side of a coin. We'll only be looking at the one side of the coin, but but just as we we begin this, I, I give you the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin is in verse 6, the previous verse. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That's one side of the coin, and the other side is casting all your cares upon him. In verse 6, the mighty hand of God refers to God's control of all the events in our life. Sometimes, as we all know, he allows hard things to enter our lives. Things that we worry about. Things that cause us anxiety. But this is his mighty hand. In the case of the readers, it was suffering for the Christian faith. Such suffering for the faith in the first century as it still is in the 21st century involves loss of status and respect within a community, loss of family standing in society, loss of friends, loss of livelihood, even in some cases, loss of life. And Peter identifies two responses to this mighty hand of God. One is... To humble yourself before the providence of God in our life. To acknowledge that this is not a mistake. This is not luck or chance that this event and trial which is causing us worry, stress and anxiety has come to us. That we recognize that God in heaven is over all things. We are finite and small and weak in this world pawns on that amazing chessboard of life and we humble ourselves reverentially in a godly manner not in a despairing way or a fatalistic or with a fatalistic mind, mindset but in humble faith and trust we humble ourselves before God this is your plan this is your way you've brought this into my life. I didn't want this. I didn't ask for this. But you have brought it to me. And so this is one side of the coin. Here is this difficult event which is causing us anxiety, stress and worry. And we, we humble ourselves before God. Perhaps for us today, for us this evening, the hard providence is, is not this persecution which was there for the first readers under Nero at this time. But perhaps it's an illness that has come to you. Perhaps a bereavement that you've been struggling with. Perhaps a difficult neighbor which is causing you all kinds of hassle next door. Perhaps an unfair and demanding boss. Perhaps it's a bully in your class at school or in your university. How are we to respond to this circumstance? That we can do absolutely nothing about. But which God in his plan has brought into our life. His mighty hands. He can do all things. He orders our life. That's his mighty hand. Verse 6 says. Has brought this into our experience. We're to humble ourselves. Before him. To accept his plan. To submit to his will for our life. We can use the Psalms to express our sorrow, our frustration, our pain. But in the end, we say to God, God, 
you have brought this experience to me. We humble ourselves before him. Psalm 138 verse 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And we pray the prayer of Jesus, don't we? Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So here is one side of the coin that, that, that we, we, we aren't looking at in, in any detail this evening. But the other side of the coin is our verse. When this hard providence comes, when the mighty hand of God brings this unexpected event into our life, which is making us worry, causing us stress, filling us with anxiety. The other side is we cast all our anxieties on God. We pray to God about our worries which arise from these difficult circumstances, the financial needs that we have, the health issues that we're wrestling with, the emotional pain and a broken relationship, some difficulty with a family member. We want to think this evening of the problems we have, the privileges we have, and the promise we have. Let's think of the problems we have. This phrase in verse number seven, all your anxieties. Here are the problems that we have. The Christian does have anxieties. At times we do worry. We, we are become stressed. We are full of trouble. And there's two aspects of these that we just notice. Firstly, the word anxieties themselves. This, this word means distractions. The Greek word means to be drawn in different directions. And we can understand this because this is the effect of worry and anxiety on us. In a time of anxiety, depression, stress, our mind is distracted from our work, our hobbies, our joys, and is fixated on our specific problem. We're familiar with the, the state of anxiety and the trait of anxiety. The state of anxiety is that momentary anxiety that we feel before an exam, perhaps before preaching, before presenting. That's the state of anxiety. It lasts just for a moment. We feel our weakness, our inability, but, but it's more this trait of anxiety that we're thinking of. Something that is ongoing, something that is prolonged, something that's ingrained within us. Their mind is distracted. We've observed from our own experience that however hard we try to stop thinking of the problem and focus on our work, on our hobby, on our Bible, on our Savior, we struggle to do that. Our mind just keeps going back to the thing, the circumstance that is causing us the worry. It's like a big magnet sucking us in, pulling us again to focus on it. We don't want to think of this event or this person, but we cannot help ourselves dwelling on it. This is the word here, anxiety. This distraction is pulling our mind away from what we should be thinking on, what we want to be thinking on. It paralyzes us from doing good, from enjoying so much that is good in our life, in our church, in our world, from seeing the bigger picture of God's providential dealings and grace within our hearts and families, from thinking on other things, from thinking about other people. We use the phrase, don't we, 
his head is turned to describe someone who is distracted, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. He's turned away from the proper, the normal objects that he should be considering and is consumed and fixated with something else. This is our word, anxiety. It means distraction. And we know, as we were singing in our psalm, uh, 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 116, that this distraction is not merely a mental thing, a diversion of thought from pleasant subjects to offensive subjects. The distraction brings all kinds of negative and painful emotions as well. It's not just all in our heads. It's in our heart too. The emotions of fear, of sorrow, of pain that can be expressed as we were singing our psalm and physical symptoms of sleeplessness, blurred eyesight, difficult breathing, fatigue, chest pains, high blood pressure, anxiety. This, this distraction which Christians experience and the readers of this letter were obviously experienced. He talks about your anxieties. They had them. They were in Christ. Remember all the things he said in chapter 1 about them. They were born again. They were redeemed. They were chosen. But he talks here about your anxieties. They had those anxieties. And we have these anxieties. They come in a range of ways, doesn't he? See the word in verse 7, all. Matthew Henry lists personal and family situations, the present and the future, as sources of different types of anxiety. For some of us here, it might be the anxiety caused by an exam or a hospital appointment or physical pain or marital breakdown their children, financial constraints, the meeting the high and impossible expectations and targets of our bosses or peers. All of these oppressive situations are are the source and cause of stress, worry, anxiety in the Christian's life. This word in verse 7 is used in a special place in the Bible in the New Testament. It was used by Jesus of Martha. She was anxious about providing him a tremendous meal. And that anxiety distracted her from listening to the teaching of Jesus. She was fixated on an object that she couldn't drag her mind away from to focus on the object she should have been fixated with. Psalm 55 verse 22 lies behind uh, this wonderful promise here. And in that psalm, the psalmist uses the word burden. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. And this is a great illustration of anxiety, isn't it? It's a burden. It's something that's weighing us down. Slowing us down. A weight on our minds. 
A load on our shoulders, the psalmist there says in verse 4, my heart is an anguish within me. Verse 5, fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. This is his burden. This anxiety, this worry, this stress, this trouble in his life. Here is the problem that we have. We know the difference uh, between moderate and intense anxiety, don't we? We know the benefit of moderate anxiety. What some psychologists call the blue-eyed glaze. The right amount of stress for us to perform at our best. The proper amount of pressure and concern that brings out the optimum within us. And without that pressure in sport or in exams or in work or in family or in our Christian life, we would be careless and indifferent to many of our responsibilities. The depths within us, the richness of our ability would never shine forth. That moderate anxiety is beneficial to us, the blue-eyed glaze. But then there is the intense anxiety, and this is what our verse is referring to, that cripples us, that paralyzes us, that fills us with pain and sorrow and difficulty. The problem we have. Secondly, the privilege that we have. Casting all your anxieties on him. When the Christian is sick with worry, we have the privilege of prayer. No one is saying this is easy or saying this is a quick fix. But we lay hold on it. Casting all your anxieties on him. And what does this look like? Well, this word is used only one other time in the New Testament. It's used in Luke chapter 19, verse 35. And, they, and this is what it says. And they brought it to Jesus. That's the donkey. He's going to ride into Jerusalem on the donkey. So the disciples, they brought the donkey to Jesus. And throwing, throwing, that's the word, throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Peter was there, wasn't he? He was one who removed his cloak and cast it on the colt as a saddle for Jesus to sit on. The heavy cloak that he had carried by it was now carried by the donkey. He had cast his coat, along with others, onto the donkey. And so in prayer, we cast the cause of our anxiety on Jesus. The thing, the person, the event that is burdening us, that is paining us, that is causing anxiety, that is troubling us, we bring it to God. In Psalm 55, it is the burden of betrayal by a close friend. What a burden that was. But the, the writer says, as Peter here says, we cast our burden on the Lord in prayer. And casting is hard work. It's not laying down our burden or, or placing our burden on a shelf. It is casting our burden. 
It contains the element of intention, of movement, of letting go. You plan to cast a stone into the deep part of a river. You swivel on your hips like a shot putter as you launch the stone. You then let the heavy stone leave the palm of your hand and allow it to travel through the air, disconnected from your hand, and enter into the river. And it goes to rest on the bed of the river when before it was resting on and burdening your hand. The riverbed now feels and carries the weight of that stone, the roughness of its edges. It's away from us. Though we might still think of it. Perhaps the effort exhausts us. But we feel lighter. We feel relieved. We cast our burden on the Lord. Robert Johnston comments on the term casting all our care on him. Our anxiety. It obviously implies difficulty. And consequent energetic effort, this casting, this wrestling with fear and with faith, and all the emotions and all the dark side that anxiety has brought to us. What what a wrestling goes on in that moment of prayer as we're seeking to cast our burden on the Lord. Casting a coat on the donkey, you would fluff out the coat. You would swing it around and land it on the back of the beast. It was an energetic effort. And so, in casting our anxiety in God, it involves struggle in prayer, wrestling in our minds and in our hearts as we cast our anxiety on him. But what a privilege we have. Sir Anthony Selden is the Vice-Chancellor of the University of Buckingham, the campaigner for student well-being. He said, we're concerned with reactive policy once a student reaches the bottom of the waterfall. What we need is a policy to prevent him from tipping over the edge of the waterfall. And here's what we have here in the Christian life, this privilege praying, coming to our Heavenly Father and casting our burden on the Lord. We know that prayer is more than thanking God or asking God. It's also the opportunity to unburden ourselves in His presence. And sometimes we want something in our life to reduce the stress. And sometimes we want something out of our life to reduce our anxiety. Hannah wanted something in her life to reduce her stress. She wanted a child. The shame of childlessness taken away from her. She prayed for something into her life to reduce the stress. David in Psalm 55, he wanted someone out of his life to reduce the stress. His former companion, The friend that he had and in whom he trusted in the past was Ahithophel, the counsellor. And having him out of his life would reduce his anxiety. And so we pray. 
And sometimes it is for something to come into our life and explode our anxiety. Sometimes it is for something or someone to, to be removed from our life or, or us to be removed from, the, from them. David prays in Psalm 55, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. For him to get away from that circumstance, he believed, would bring him solace and calm and peace. But here is a privilege that we have casting our anxiety on him. And lastly, the promise that we have because he cares for you. He cares for you. However young we are, whatever anxiety we have, however big, however small, he cares for you. This is here to encourage us to pray to God. We're not coming to someone cruel or apathetic. We're coming to someone who cares for us. Some people are indifferent to our stress and our anxiety and our worries and our troubles. There's few people willing to listen or to help us or to carry our burden. But here is someone who truly and really cares for us. He cares for you. Matthew Henry suggests that God's care is shown by either averting what we fear or supporting us under that burden. Sometimes he does avert what we fear. He takes away the difficulty from us. This was the experience of David in Psalm number 55. And sometimes in life that happens to us. That circumstance, that person is taken away. We're cured from our illness. Our oppressor moves on somewhere else. Or sometimes God sustains us through our trial. And that is the evidence of his care. Psalm 55 makes that point, doesn't it? Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Job in his illness, David in his rejection, Ruth in her bereavement and famine were all sustained by God through their trial. He cares for us by supporting us through his word, by his spirit, within his church, by his kind providences. But supremely, the evidence of his care is not just in relieving us of trial or sustaining us through trial, but in the giving of his son for us. Every Christian knows and believes that whatever our circumstances, however deep the pain, the sense of loneliness and darkness that we feel, God in heaven loves us because he has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live under the law and keep it something we could never do. And to go out alone to the cross of Calvary outside of Jerusalem and die between heaven and earth for the sins of the world. We're assured of and have confidence that as we come in prayer, our Father in heaven cares for us. Oliver Cromwell uh, had uh, an envoy called Bustrod Whitlock, and he was deeply concerned, anxious, stressed, troubled uh, about the state uh, of the, the English nation at a certain point in his life and responsibilities. He couldn't sleep as a result of this. And this 
humble servant uh, spoke to him and the conversation has been recorded from 400 years ago. The servant said with great sagacity, do you think God governed the world well before you were in it? Yes, Whitlock said. And master, do you think God will govern the world well after you leave it? Yes, Whitlock said. Well, the humble servant said, Master, perhaps you could trust them to govern the world well now. And it's that trust we need, isn't it? He loves us. He cares for us. He is with us. In our trouble, in our pain, in our anxiety, The world cannot really square these things, can it? In the same verse, your anxiety is mentioned. And in the same verse, the promise he cares for you is mentioned. Your anxiety, the almighty God and heavenly Father, Son and Holy Spirit care for you. How can these two things be be held together? But we are not asked to understand. We're not asked to explain. We're asked to believe. We have anxieties, stress, trouble, dark times. But our Father in heaven constantly, personally, immeasurably cares for you. If you are a Christian, the trials of our life the anxiety which we experience, it comes to us to bring us near to God. I look at this newly planted, I don't know if the deacons know about this, uh, white flowering cherry tree at the manse. It's held by a a stake at the minute and and, and over the winter time it it blows from right to left. It's getting battered here and and I look at that fledgling tree and I think that, that wind It's helping this tree. It's causing it to put its roots down further and lift up its branches to the heavens. And this is what our trial is to be doing. It's to bring us nearer to our Heavenly Father. Comes to us. And we know that our best praying is done times of stress, anxiety, and trouble. If you're not yet a Christian, your anxiety, your stress, the dark circumstances of your life are also sent by God to bring you to him. You've not listened to him in the good times of your life. Now he's speaking to you in the dark times of his life, but he's speaking graciously. He's calling you. He's inviting you. He's encouraging you. He's seeking to prod you to come to him, to his love, to his grace, to his salvation. He's only bringing you down that he might lift you up. He's only burdening you so he might bless you problems we have, the privilege we have, 
promise that we have.